Welcome to the B2B Category Creators Podcast, hosted by Gil Alouche, founder and CEO of Metadata.io. This podcast is all about sharing the real and sometimes edgy secrets of B2B software creation. On today's episode, we have Dave Gerhardt, CMO at Privy, and Guillaume Caban, growth advisor for B2B SaaS startups like Gorgeous, G2, and Abstract. Uh, welcome everyone to the Category Creator Podcast. This is the third episode and I have with me Guillaume Caban and Dave Gearhart and I'm very excited to have you both. Um, maybe we'll just start by a quick intro. Guillaume, maybe you can go first, tell everyone uh, a little bit about yourself. You're actually a very famous marketer, but for the ones who don't know you, um, maybe a quick intro is good. <laughs> sure, yeah. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm a French guy. Uh, so that's not the sales pitch. That's 100% true. Uh, you can you can hear it. Uh, I do B2B marketing. I've been doing B2B marketing for longer than I'd like to admit. Uh, and uh, I try to help entrepreneurs and, and companies at the inflection point. I try to really come in once you've hit product market fit, but you haven't uh, found uh, distribution and marketing fit. Right. That's why I tried to help, and you know, it's it's worked out pretty well in a couple of uh, couple of uh, companies like Segment, uh, Drift, or Gorgeous, most recently. And nowadays, I do advisory with a, a bunch of uh, uh, great B two B SaaS companies. Wonderful. And then, where are you calling us from? Right now, I'm in the south of France. You know, I I took a break from uh, crazy California. I used to live in San Francisco, but you know, you guys threw at me uh, a pandemic closed schools, uh, crazy politics, and then fires. I was like, this is, this is too much. This is like the, the crazy relationship. You're like, I'm out. I'm, I'm taking a break from this. <laughs> Call me back when things go better. Good. This is where you should be. Get out. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, there's no way I'm paying that much taxes in, in California for the situation that's happening right now. Dave, how about you? We'd love to, uh, to get a little bit of introduction about you. Yeah. My name is Dave. I'm the CMO of a company called Privy. We're in the um, e-commerce space. And before that, I was VP of marketing at Drift, uh, was there for four years, have spent the last decade at HubSpot and Drift, um, kind of have only focused on B2B marketing by, um, by chance. And this is kind of now what I, what I love to do and, and love to talk about and, and have worked with G um, and gotten to know him over the years. And, you know, we've kind of we've kind of been like a little bit of, we, we like to trade ideas back and forth and, and have a little bit of like a yin and yang type thing, which is, which is pretty nice. So tell me uh, something that no one else knows about you outside of category creation. Tell me something. Um, you know, let's start with you. I want to hear, you know, I heard from Goddard and see that he went to jail. That was an interesting story. Sorry. <laughs> uh, what he did when he was younger to get one night there. Tell me your, uh, something that no one knows about you. Uh, I'd say, uh, I, I did more Boy Scouts than most people. And I calculated recently how often, how, how many times I've slept uh, uh, under a tent. You know what's the answer? A year oh. and a half. When you aggregate it, I spent a year and a half uh, sleeping under a tent um, by the age of 20. Right? So a meaningful power part of my life was, was spent uh, uh, outdoors. Um, and I think it's connected because... I spent a lot of time finding solutions, creative solutions to actual problems I was having there, right? And that's been the defining thing of my life. Like I like solving um, uh, problems, complicated problems um, in a way that, you know, most people you would usually give up. Uh, that's my thing. What I would give to, uh, to get a glimpse of Guillaume Caban in, 
in Boy Scouts A-B testing solutions. Uh, that's, that's, that's awesome. That's easy. There were some failures. Dave, <laughs> <laughs> yes, what about you? Not that interesting of a, of a person, honestly. Like nobody wants to hear like, I like to play golf and I like to work out. Uh, nobody, nobody likes that person and that's the truth. But uh, I'll, I'll give you an interesting story that I never shared before just because we're talking a lot about um, drift today. And, and so one time um, we got this interview at the New York Times, like New York, the New York Times in, in like print, like they said, hey, come come to New York with, with David, the CEO, and, and we're doing a feature in the New York Times for this CEO corner office thing. We get down there, go out to dinner, night before I'm in my hotel room, stomach bug, like the worst night of my life, stomach bug, worst night of my life. The next morning, he's like raring. This is he. Like we're going, we were going into the New York Times to do an interview. Like it's insane. Everybody dreams of that. And and I'm and I, I went out to like the little corner store and I, I got I had to get Pedialyte at like six in the morning and like my I just was a, a mess and I had to sit through that. I had to sit through like this moment, the photo shoot and the interview at the New York Times, just thinking about how am I not going to throw up? And the CEO is here with me right now. <laughs> I love that one. Oh, that's hilarious. I wonder if it was just a stomach bug or you just got shit. You know, you, no, you, I, you, I wish. I wish I would have tried, I would have done anything in that moment. <laughs> that is a funny story. I, I hope that, that that went well. That's very cool. And you know, uh, you're talking about Drift. Uh, the next episode we have is going to be with uh, Henry Shook from ZoomInfo and David Cancel from Drift. So uh, it's, it's nice to kind of have the same, the same family. I know that uh, Guillaume has the craziest scientist um you know persona what what uh, what's yours i know that your posts are very authentic and genuine but what's the persona that you're taking uh um i don't know the persona i just am myself that's my persona like uh, <laughs> but i think from a from a marketing perspective um my background is more on the uh content brand product marketing communications um side of things and so that's kind of the that's the angle that that i come at it i think that um a lot of B2B companies, um, actually, let's say this, let's be more aggressive. I think 99% of B2B companies are just terrible at marketing because they have no, they have no sense of a brand and no sense of creativity. And, and those are the two things that I like to talk about the most and kind of like bring back. And I think through some of the work that I've done in my career so far, that's been, that's been the big focus is like winning through creativity and building a brand and, and really building an audience above everything else. I think that um, SaaS, you know, is, is a commodity and the way that you're going to win is by building an audience. And so before I would even sell any product, I would be focusing on building an audience of people that I could then sell to. And even if you can't sell to them, you can learn through that audience. And so for me, if I sum it all up, it's really like not content, product marketing, community, social, all that stuff. It's like building an audience. I think that that's the thing that, that I think I, I've really focused on and, and, and learned how to do over the last 10 years. It's, it's pretty amazing because like when you look at DG and myself, like group us together, like at Drift and it's really a kick-ass team. But like if, if you take a step back, what the things, the learnings I have from being a few years at Drift with DG is that most, uh, most B2B SaaS companies, the marketing is not creating any value. It's there, it exists, right? But it's just like, um, it's just spreading the core message of what the product actually is. It's just facts about the product and some empty promises, right? And, and that, which means you're only winning through the product. You're not winning through marketing, okay? And if, if your product is great, 
great, uh, that, you might, that might work. But the marketing team is not creating extra value. And I think the core difference at Drift, especially in the early years where the product was good, but like, was it so much better than all the others? Like debatable, but the marketing was creating the value, especially early on. I think there's, there's a difference between marketers that capture demand and those that can create demand. And if you can create, if you can capture demand and create demand, that is like, that's the dream combination, which is like, you can make something happen. You can create an event, uh, a holiday or, or whatever that thing might be. Uh, I, I think that like the harsh reality of B2B marketing is that I think a lot of B2B marketers couldn't actually do marketing if they actually had to sell a product. And so if you plugged in a B2B marketer at a e-commerce company and you said, Hey, you got to sell these hoodies online. I'm not sure that they could do it because because you're missing that like direct response skill. And, and, and one thing that I, I focus on the last four or five years, uh, especially through the Drift journey, especially through 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 David and, and, and the team at Drift is like really focusing on copywriting, um, psychology, how people make decisions and letting that kind of ground most of the marketing strategy and then applying the tools and technologies, you know, on top of that. And um, what's interesting about like G's background is he's, you know, he's, he's super technical, um, super like, you know, growth, like thinking about things that I can't even, I, my, my brain can't comprehend. However, we actually initially connected over this shared uh, love of Robert Cialdini's book, uh, Influence, which Indeed. is like the most Indeed. important marketing book you could read. And so I think it's cool to Absolutely. think about like, you know, you can come at it from both sides. It's not just like, oh, because, you know, he's a brand person, he thinks about psychology. I think it, that that's the number one thing. And so if you can study that, you know, that book was written in 1986 or go back to 1924, um, uh, Claude Hopkins, uh, scientific, uh, Eugene Schwartz Scientific Advertising or Claude Hopkins, 1924, that book was written a hundred years ago and the lessons in that book are still you know, applicable today. That's what like is the most important piece to study. Bringing consumer marketing almost like the, the Don Draper, the Mad Men kind of psychological and, and you're attacking it from that, from that angle. And Guillaume, you're attacking it from the numbers and, and quantitative and technology point of view. What I, I've learned about G's, per, G's take on things is like, you know, there's things that, that you can read, you know, about, you know, he, he's much more focused on like, what things can I read about my potential customers and how can I, how can I be there? And so like, you know, he focuses a lot on, on intent, right? Where like, that might be, how do I match the signal of what somebody might doing based, based on some piece of data that you have. Um, and I think that that's like, that's the, if you look at, look at a great, you know, direct to consumer brand today, they, they're actually great at this. They, they do both. They blend like the creative and data really well together. And I think if you, if you break down the, the piece of it, G's not the one like creating, you know, he's not, he's not creating a beautiful designs and not, that's not his thing. But I'm like, not, that's for sure. He's, he's, he's wiring up the systems to, do things at scale that you know most people would think that I have to hire a team of 50 people to do and and because look anybody can close the leads that come to your website click on the get a demo button anybody can close those leads like anybody can close the like you know the the, the hand raisers it's all of the in between that really make or break you hitting the number or not and I think that's that's where G like has a unique skill set in, in finding those people but the truth to be told the thing is and I think that's where we had this magic combo at Drift. I need to have something to capture, all right? And in many companies, you don't have the, the DG and the rest of the marketing team that he had to create the category, create the community, create the intent. And so there's nothing to capture. And often people come to me and say, hey, I want the same playbook. And I'm like, 
you don't have an audience. No one is looking for your thing. No one is expressing intent. Like it's not the right playbook. You need to create the market. You need to educate the market first. If the very first thing that you do, that's why G said like, how did you describe the the types of companies that you work with G? Like stage wise? Uh, The inflection points. Inflection points. So like he's not at zero because like if you, because the, the, the mistake that I think people make is like, they over instrument and over implement when you have zero. And it's like, there's nothing to optimize there. What, what do you, you know, yeah. you, you're, you, you can't, you don't need machine learning to uh, AB test a thousand variations on your website when you have seven people coming to your website. That's not the right stage of that. And so you have to first build an audience, then you can add on that, you know, that absolutely extra fuel. You guys are using the word audience versus community. Tell me, is there is this just like a choice of words or is it a different thing that you're trying to create? I think of it as in either case, you know, you could call it audience, you could call it community, you could call it black pen. Um, what it means is, do you have a group of people who you can market to on your terms? Not like I'm going to put something on social media and like hope people see it. You know, we we have a podcast, a blog and an email list. And I know that when I create something, it makes waves like, you know, five people reply to my email or a hundred people download a podcast. It's something you can build on where you can, an audience is something you can get a response from. And so if you can't get a response, a meaningful response, then you don't have an audience. Yeah. I, I want to double down on that. I think that's very important. I started in my career a long time ago at Apple and and I had a great run there. I learned a ton. It's a great company to learn marketing from, obviously, right? But what I learned is that the, the you could argue the products are better. You could argue against. But you're not arguing against the fact that Apple's marketing is the best in their market. It's the best, right? And they create the value there. And when I left Apple, I thought that was a fluke, that nothing, no other company could build that that quality of marketing and that sense of uh, belonging, that community on their products, that people would buy the Apple products without even thinking about it. And I, when, I, when I joined Drift, there's something that I realized. People were signing up. People were reaching out to our sales without really knowing what the product did, right? But there was a, such a strong community that the people wanted to be part of the movement. Wherever we were going, they had conviction maybe even faith, that it was the right direction. And so eventually then the salespeople were explaining to them how the product could help, but the, the direction was bigger than the product itself. I think of it, I actually think of it a lot about outbound. And, you know, somebody, I think somebody, maybe it was like inter- interviewing a, I think I did like a, some sales podcast and they were like, how do you articulate the value of marketing? And I was like, have you ever tried outbound sales? <laughs> and, and is it any fun? And so like, does it work? It does work, right? But is it better to go knock on doors and say, hello, my name is Dave. I'm from this company and I'm trying to sell you this thing and try to get your pitch in like every cold email or cold outreach, right? Versus like, hey, uh, we did this really cool interview with a, with a CFO that you might, might like because you're also a CFO. Why don't you go just check that out? No ask. Now you're listening to my podcast, right? Now it's been eight weeks. Now you're interested. Now you've told two friends. Now you might happen to get a, a message from one of our salespeople. Oh yeah, I know I know you. I listen to the podcast, right? Think about how much different each of those conversations can be now. And if we're talking of outbound, I want to give some, some actual useful examples. And one of the things that I try to explain is that 
I try to have outbound campaigns, which always bring information, value to the recipient. And as, as little as possible, talk about my product. I'll give you an example. I'm working with a company called Gorgeous right now, which is exactly in the same space as uh, DGF Privy, right? E-commerce, e we sell to uh, uh, Shopify merchants. I do outbound. Of course, I do outbound. One example of a campaign that I do, we uh, monitor for UPS and FedEx uh, service interruptions throughout the US. We have a, we have a database with all of the uh, e-commerce warehouses where they're located. And when there is a service interruption, which is going to uh, delay packages, we know the e-commerce merchants are going to be impacted. We reach out to the VP of success and we tell them, hey, DG, your packages are going to be delivered late. Are you ready for the influx of tickets? And that's it. And you know what the answer? Thank you. I was not aware. No one has ever complained about that campaign because there's information, there's value. Beautiful. That's a, that's a beautiful campaign. Uh, not surprised you build those sophisticated campaigns. Everybody um, that's listening is like, how do I do that? How do I do that campaign? Is that Zapier? Is that a Zapier thing? Like, what do you do? If you go back in time and you try to think about that one moment that was complete colossal failure, hashtag fail in trying to create that unique, genuine content to your audience. Can you tell us about that moment? This is going to come off the wrong way, but I don't have an example. And the reason why I don't have an example is because I use social media and other ways to test content ideas. And that doesn't mean that it's never going to flop. I just have, it just been a rare, it, this is like all, this is all very meta because it all comes back to this idea of building an audience. If you have an active and engaged audience, you should always know what to go and create for them. And so like, I can't think of one campaign. I have a hundred, I've failed a million times, but they've been micro, like small failures, right? They've been because you can test. And so like, because you're always listening to your audience because you have an audience, right? Then you're learning what content to create. Okay, so that, hey, this started off as a LinkedIn post. I'm gonna expand on it and make it a podcast. Whoa, that podcast is really interesting to people. I'm gonna go try to give that as a talk at the next thing that I'm speaking at. That's how you mitigate the risk of like the big reveal versus like, we got this idea. We're not gonna share it with anybody. We're gonna go silent for 12 weeks. Like I think I'm always about like sharing what mark sharing what ideas you're you you have with your customers with your audience like here's an example let's say you have an email list you've been building an audience let's say you have an email list of five thousand people that you've built because you said hey we're a startup we're gonna start doing this podcast b2b category creators and i, I don't know a lot about your company so i'm just making this up right so like we're gonna do b2b category creators podcast and we're gonna have the blog and we're gonna do that for a year now you got this, you got an audience. It's not huge, but it's, you know, 5,000 email subscribers and they're pretty active, you know, 30% open rate, whatever. Now you're thinking we should do an event. The way that I would de-risk that whole thing is I would literally make a podcast episode and email my list and be like, so my boss sat down and he said, we should try and we should start, we should do an event this year. And here's what I'm thinking, which one of these two events would you, you know, what would you want to see out of an event and who would you want to speak at the event? And so before spending a dollar on this event, now I've tested the concept, right? I've gotten ideas for speakers. And I think like just that type of thinking with content helps you do things. And then by the way, when you do decide to go do that event, I already now have 250 people who have raised their hand that said, hey, Dave, if you did an event, I'd be there to buy tickets. So now I'm presenting the CFO and I'm saying, here's the budget I need for this. And by the way, I kind of already have $10,000 in ticket sales committed because I know the audience is interested in this and I can feel really good about going bigger. That like in one story is how I think about content and marketing in general. That's exactly what our software does. It does experimentation from B2B marketers to, to do something similar. You know, there are two, there are two uh, 
that's because of thought. One of them says, yeah, you go with experimentation, maybe testing multivariate testing to death, and you you really narrow down and fine tune to where you should go. And I think it works. It works for me. I'm a quant, and, and that's kind of how I base the company. However, there's another uh, thought that you, you should really make a big bet, and and you know go full force. And actually, that bet is going to create. You know, we're talking about creating demand, creating intent. It's going to be so forceful that it's going to make a big difference. It's like a big bet, but the the, the huge exponential leaps. What do you think about that? When you do those experiments or those big bets, uh, people often forget to um, evaluate the costs of trying, which leads to cost of failure. Uh, and what is the impact? And so I think I'm not against big bets. I love big bets, but I think you can break down the hypothesis of the big bets into a few MVPs. As DG said, like, is this the right content? It doesn't mean that the conference is the wrong idea, but maybe you should change the, co the, the content or the angle. So you got to break down your big bets into a series of uh, sizable uh, chunks of uh, you know, a testable hypothesis. And if you can then de-risk those you know, four, five, six uh, uh, meaningful hypotheses, then you're good. Then like, you now have enough confidence that you can do the big bet. Yeah, I think, I think that's an important point from G, which is like, that's what the best teams do. Like, it's not, hey, like, Gil, you're the CEO. You ask us to go create this thing. Okay, first thing we're going to think about is like, what, are, what do we know about our audience already that we can use to just like hedge a little bit? And I think that's, this is the importance of the whole thing. However, when you know your audience well, it's easier to feel better about taking bets. I think it is important to like, you know, I, I understand the importance of, 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 you know, you, you guys are more, you're not more, you are quants and I am not right. Um, and, 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 and on, on, on that side though, I think like there's something just having conviction about an idea, right. Which is like, I don't have data to test this. However, like I just have a feeling that this is going to be a topic that's going to resonate with our audience and you earn the right to test those things when you've had success in, in some of the other areas. And so like, I think if you're just going to go into something blind and cold for the first time and make a huge bet with no data, then of course, hell yeah, that's going to be a disaster. But if you've had a ton of success over here and you're like, Hey boss, I want to try some crazy shit now. They're like, all right, cool. Do that. Like, like go, go and do that. And it is important that, that this marketing thing is, is, you know, data and science for sure, but you have to have some gut and some instinct with it as well. I was the, uh, the PM and, and marketing leader for an InfoSec, uh, uh, product, uh, back in early 2010, 11. Right. And, um, it's a complicated product. I'm a marketer. I didn't understand the product. So I was like, cool. Like, uh, leadership hired me for this. I'm going to like make a big splash. I'm going to launch it. I'm going to build. I went one year down the hole to launch the thing and I launched it. And you know what? I had hundreds uh, of uh, CIOs and, C and CISOs sign up for the thing. Right. And during that year, the engineers were telling me, gee, the product's not going to work. There's some technical reasons it's not going to work. Like, ah, whatever, right? Leadership hired me for this. Like, they say it's fine. It's going to be fine, right? You know what? I launched it. Product didn't work. And that was the end of it. Like, the product didn't work. We did not listen to the audience. We did not test the product with alpha customers. Uh, I mean, this is before, like, lean startups and stuff, right? But, like, and we didn't listen to the people who understand the product. So, multiple mistakes were made. And we went a lot, we went very long time without validating any of those hypotheses. 
And then, so the, the interesting story is that you, you want to know why I'm a technical marketer? That failure is why I'm a technical marketer. Because when that happened, I'd say, okay, fuck it. I'm going to understand the product now. I'm going to talk to the engineers. I'm going to get technical enough that I can understand, is this thing salvageable? Yes or no. And then I'm going to go back to leadership and explain to them what the situation is. And there was no way I was going to do that on an InfoSec product without ramping up my technical abilities a ton. So that's what I did, right? So it served me well. The product still doesn't work. You can look on YouTube uh, uh, for it. You look on the very first video uh, on my name, you'll find it there. Uh, but yeah, it's called malware. Yeah, DG, have fun. It's called malware control. Search malware-control, you yeah, have fun. It's like video for me in like the early 2010s. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Other than content and audience, if you were to go back and think, you know, about the the biggest thing that you've done, the biggest, uh, I don't know if it was a campaign or, or a strategy that you applied that made your company, made your company from a tool or, or, or a piece of software into a category creator, into defining even what is it that you do and who else is playing in that space? What would yeah. that be? I think my favorite way to explain this, um, I think this comes, I think this is Andy Raskin's or I've stole it or who knows, but um, it's basically this, this idea that um, your story, your company's story is your strategy. And so what that means is like, if you think of drift and conversational marketing, right, by creating that category, that is then making a lot of the other decisions easier, right? Okay, will we have will we have forms on our website? No. Will we do gated content? No. Um, can we build this type of feature in our product? No, we can't because that's too closely related to this other thing, you know, that we're trying to replace. And so I think like that sets the guardrails for when you have a really strong company story, strategic narrative. I love that term, a strategic narrative. That's more than messaging and positioning. That is like the here's why this company exists and here's how we think about things differently. And it's not just marketing messaging. It also guides the product roadmap. It guides what you build, right? It, it guides what you build. It guides who you partner with, the, the tools and technology that you use. I think that's the most important decision. And so like, if you go back to any company who has been great at this, whether you know, you're talking about Drift or HubSpot or Salesforce or Apple, right? It always starts with a very clear vision and the story from, from the CEO who understands how to tell that story to, to a market, right? That that's where it starts. And so like, it's going to be impossible to do this if you're in marketing and you're like, I just can't get the CEO to care about marketing. Well, like you're not going to go build a category in this space. Then it's got to start at the top. Fascinating. Guillaume. You know, there's, there's been a, a lot of moments in my life where I think we were able to uh, change the direction uh, um, and and start building the category. I think my particular appetite is in using the product in a different way to differentiate. You know, obviously, I, I I've always been a big fan of this thing different campaign from Apple, but I believe it holds a lot more meaning than most people think. All right, here's what I think: if you're a marketer and you use the same tools and technologies and the same channels as your competitors, how are you going to win? If your strategy is, I'm going to send emails using Marketo, I'm going to do ads on Facebook, how are you going to win? If you're winning only through the uh, message, that's hard. Then you need someone like DG. And you need like the top 0.1% of marketers who can craft a message. And even then, it's not just about the message because he has the whole community before. 
right? There's a few people who can do the whole shebang just on the message. And so my opinion of that, the shifting moments, whether it's at Drift, at Segment, or elsewhere, it's how I can explain that this product can be used in a different way to create different outcomes, right? Completely different to shift the narrative as, you know, when we talk of strategic narrative, it's shifting the mindset. This, we're not competing. Look, for example, at Drift, we're not competing with Intercom. It's a different use case, right? It might be the same underlying technology. Sure, you're sending messages from point A to point B, from customer to like sales rep, but it's a completely different use case. And that changes the entire perception uh, of the product and the market. So when you would talk to customers at Drift and would they ask you, how are you different than Intercom? I show them that how to think differently. Okay, I'll give you an example. Like mm-hmm. before I was hired at Drift, I went to Boston and did a keynote and I, as a customer, and I explained how I was using Drift. I remember that one example that I gave, the stuff that I was doing at uh, Segment. I was using Drift so that I could offer coffees to, to the right kind of people coming on the Segment website. I would use Drift the live chat so that my reps could dynamically offer a hot drink delivered to your office in 20 minutes, all right? And everything was automated. Right now, was it a huge campaign in terms of harm? No. Was it super meaningful in terms of revenue? No, honestly. Was it amazing? Absolutely, it was amazing. Were people wowed by it? Absolutely, because it opens your eyes on what's possible. You're saying I created something so that people, I educated them, and they didn't compare me to Intercom. That's great, but I do like Drift. I use Drift. I'm a happy, a very happy customer of Drift. I did compare it to, to, to Intercom. And I, I wonder, did you really get to a place where you'd hop on calls and people will not ask you, it's like, who is your competition or how are you different than Drift? That was not, that was not the standard because I know yeah. that that's what companies... It came up, but this is like, look, you can't just have marketing. You have to have a great product. Because <laughs> like, I could tell you that it's different, but if it's not different, then it's not different. I could tell you that it's different, but you're going to have to actually go in and then we're going to have to match up that vision. And so this is why going back to the top of that story of strategy thing, how are we different then? So, you know, what is going to be the defining thing? And the, and the wedge that we created was we're going to focus on sales and marketing, right? We're going to be the first people to really focus on sales and marketing. And so that then drives the prioritization, you know, system for like what we're going to do. So should we, should we do this thing or that thing or this thing or that thing? We're going to, okay, well, which one is for salespeople? Okay. So we're going to do that one. And that, that's how you do that. You have to be the marketing and the product have to match. If I, you know, if I, if I, if I, if I have ads that say like, Hey, come in, you know, this is the, this is the world's comfiest jacket. And you come into my store and you put on the jacket and it's not the world's comfiest jacket, then damn it. Then you can't tell people it's the world's comfiest jacket. There has to be a one, two punch. It's very insightful what you said. You said we focused on sales and marketing versus uh, Intercom get more support and success and, or maybe even product. And he said, every decision, hey, be around, around those. Uh, is there something else that was decided well, in? On that thought though, like that, that, was, that was important, right? We, it, it was sales and marketing. It wasn't like, well, in this app, the way that you share is you right click. And in this app, the way that you share, you know, it's, it's very easy to, I hate playing the, from a competitive standpoint, I hate playing the feature war. I never want to play the feature war. If I have to send you a feature chart about how we compare to X, then, I'm, then I haven't done my job as a marketer. And that's kind of the mind frame that I take. That's a very important uh, comment and one that our listeners are going to read. And so let's do a nice cheer and take a little break. Yeah!
you know, I think you got to realize that, uh, you know, I advise a lot of companies and so I see a lot of sales flows and a lot of sales teams. I think creating the marketing, the vision, the pitch is super important. Making sure everyone who's talking to the customer is aligned on that story might be even more important. And so many companies don't do a good job there. All right. I don't have it with me here, but I do remember that every time that there was a either a future launch, a new vision, a new way to pitch, a new presentation, new vision, DJ and his team would print out a one pager, right? Um, and would that would explain the bit on the desk of every salesperson at Drift, right? Oh. And so when they, when they had the calls, they had the reference card, reference sheets of like, what is the pitch? What's the story, right? And that I think is really critical to the alignment in the company. And so many SaaS startups that I have, you listen to the gong recordings, you have five AEs, you have five stories. Mm-hmm. And that is yeah. not category creation. Yeah, it also has to work, right? And so like, it's not like we knew something about training sales reps to get everybody on the same page. It's not like I made a prettier, you know, laminated sheet that we put on people's desk. It was like, they were using the product. They were demoing the product. When they showed the right stuff with the right use case, it was awesome. And so that makes it easier to want to share that message. And so like, this is goes back to, you know, everything has to be able to line up. It worked. And so therefore, if it works, the reps think, huh, this works. If I use this pitch, I'm going to close more deals. If I close more deals, I'm going to get paid more. If I get paid more, I can buy a house. Like that's that whole progression. How do you, how do you measure yourself? What's your North Star to know, to, to think that you're actually making good progress? Want to do it together? Yeah, revenue. Revenue. Period. 100%. Always revenue. Because, like, here's a part of this. Like, I get, I got to do a lot of like creative, random, one off things, but that was because revenue was growing. You know, like, nobody was like, wow, DG came up with that cool billboard. We haven't gotten a new lead in six months. You know, like, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. And so you have to first be able to, deliver. And I think ultimately, you know, the, the thing that, the thing that is great about G's, G's setup is like, it's, it's everything's going to be measured. You know, if, if he could have it his way, he would measure every one of my tweets, you know, directly oh. to revenue and we'd really be able to quantify it. But that, I think that, that I do, that's, the, it is. that's yeah, it's in his, one of his secret spreadsheets somewhere. That's yeah. fascinating. I mean, revenue, of course, for, for me to be, you know, if, if I guess if you do a really good attribution that you can, you can really claim it. I couldn't agree more on the, you know, when you're generating pipeline that closes, then you can, you can experiment with new stuff. You can be creative. You know, that we should go one lever deeper on the revenue thing. Cause like, I think at some companies it's easier to measure revenue. Like if you, you know, if you sell hoodies online, it's easier to measure revenue because everything you do is direct response. And so like, it can be harder. However, your job then is to go and find the leading indicators to revenue. Yep. And so that could mean, oh, pipeline. Okay, it's, if it's not pipeline, then it's meetings. If it's not meetings, then it's leads. If it's not leads, then it's traffic. If it's not traffic, G's telling you that the, you know, yep. some industry intent signal is way down and holy shit, that's going to mean in six months, pipeline's going to drop, right? It's got to be some type of thinking like yep. that. It's got to correlate really well with what's going to happen when the revenue hits, right? And so why are we doing that? What are we trying to avoid? By pushing for metrics that are tied to revenue as much as possible, if not directly revenue, I'm trying to avoid vanity metrics where the marketing team can succeed while the business is failing. And that happens. Yep. There's many companies where yeah. that happens. Of course. Some marketers are being educated, maybe, that vanity metrics are important and they can somehow correlate in an indirect way 
your vanity metrics to the fact that your ACV is going up and you know so on and so forth. I don't, don't personally believe in that in that approach, but that's you know that's something that is becoming more and more popular. Hey, don't measure the leads, don't measure the meetings. Like it's uh, there's, there's a different way of calculating it. How do you, how do you tackle that? I think people misinterpret that like don't track leads, don't track traffic, don't track subscribers. You need to track all of it. Those are all leading in. Those are all inputs that you need to understand. Those just might not be the thing that you should present to the board about or in the, you know, executive meeting. You have to know, you have to know those things. Like, you know, if you, if you, if you run a restaurant, you don't just know about the food, you know, about the people that you're hiring, the security, you know, the, the cleaning crew, you got to know all those things, but you don't have to share that, that level with everybody. What experiments do you run other than, uh, other than content, other than audience, things are going well, you're generating revenue, you're generating pipeline. What kind of experiments do you try to, to, you know, to differentiate, to try new things that are not linear, like some exponential value. I think I want to share like three good experiments that I remember remember from my time at Drift um, that that were really cool. And I think it started by understanding what were the uh, friction points in our discussion with customers. I had identified three with the team. Uh, people were wondering like, is it going to look good on my site? Then people would wonder, this chat conversational marketing thingy, uh, I don't need it. I'm okay with forms. Like I have good performance. And the third is, oh, you say it's going to like double my click rate or double my engagement. I don't believe it's going to have an impact. So we had three, those three things. What did we build? For the first one, it's not going to look good. The team built Drift Test Drive. Like input your URL. We're going to look, we're going to show you how it looks on your site, right? So that removes that friction point. For the second, we built something got, called Get My Response Time, where you would enter your URL, and then we'd have a freelancer who would submit a demo request on your site, and we would measure the time that your sales team took to respond to that demo request, and would measure you against the industry standard. And if you took longer, you know, we'd say, hey, Gil, your, your sales team is taking like three hours. If you move to five minutes, you would have that much more conver conversions. And for the third, I don't think it's gonna have a big lift. We built the ROI calculator. You input a couple of like metrics and it spits out the impact and revenue for you based on your ACV, your product, right not. But so we're removing friction elements so that eventually when somebody walks themselves through those three experiments and they get to the AE, they get to the sales team, they're already convinced. They're already your champion. Yeah, well, that, that approach is important, right? Because it's like, if the, you just have a website that says start a free trial, or if you just have a website that says contact sales, those are the dream, those are the dream leads. Yes, you should always have that. You should always have a metadata.io, you know, get a demo button or whatever you guys have on your website, right? But there's only going to be, that, that you're not going to be able to consistently grow the, that group. There's just going to always be that group of people, hand raisers, right? This goes back to, I think one of the greatest lead magnets of all time is HubSpot's website grader, yes. where they didn't want to get you in the funnel. They said, hey, you got a website. We're going to tell you how it performs. We sell to small businesses. They don't really know about websites. So we're going to spit out a report and it's going to be like, ooh, you need to change this. You need to change this. You need to change this. And by the way, we can help you. That's why those three experiences matter. The most important thing in, in marketing, uh, in really any go-to-market strategy is like <clears throat> stages, understanding the stages of awareness. And so people who already know you, who are super fans, give them the fast line. They can go right, you know, they can get a demo, right? What G's talking about is building up experiences to grow your funnel beyond just like contact us to start a trial. I think that's amazing. You're, what you're revealing here are ways to 
handle the objections before the objection arrived in the digital experience? And what process did you go through with your sales and customer success perhaps to learn that those are the top three you know, friction points? Well, I think this, this, comes back to, this comes back to the beginning. It's like, we knew those things because we had an audience. And so when you're always putting out content to that audience, you're learning and we're like, wow, we hit on something. We came out, we started talking about no forms. And when we hit on no forms, like the response to that was crazy. We got, you know, people were just like, yes, take me with you. I don't know where you're going, but I'll go. And so like, you just have to keep building on that. So we're like, okay, if we have this one kind of, you know, paradigm, this no forms thing, what would be like, how can we create on that and keep, keep bridging that gap for people? And so we already had that kind of message out there. And so how do we deliver, how do we deliver on that experience? So let's keep testing. Okay. Hmm. We keep telling people that speed wins. All right. They don't believe it though. Cause nobody likes to be sold to nobody likes to be marketed. So, so how, how could we, how could we show them that? Oh, huh. What if we measured the performance of their, their speed? Okay. How could we do that? And then you keep going down that path that that's like, this is the Holy grail to me of like creativity and the growth, you know, ma- wizardry stuff. That's where this comes together. Do you find yourself joining sales calls, joining SDR qualification calls, looking at the playbooks, like looking at the actual chat, you know, between the, between the prospect and the chatbot. Do you look at things like that from more of the sales perspective or do you usually focus mostly on the customer journey stages that are within the marketing? I, I used to, now we have call recordings. And so uh, I generally ask my sales team to select uh, sales calls that they've had, which you know they think are specifically useful. And I'll go through those. Absolutely, like, listen to your customer. Yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. So um, I haven't been on a live sales call in a year. And don't don't need to, because um, I joined Privy, new company last year, and I really needed to get up to speed on on the company, the product. And so what I did is we when we got Gong, I literally I have I have the Gong app on my phone, and I put the Gong app on my home screen on my phone, and for two weeks. I, I said, every time that I would be listening to music or podcasts, I'm going to put on the gong app and I'm going to listen to customer calls. And like the beauty about that, it was like, it was a dead sprint for two weeks. I probably listened to 50 calls in, in the course of two weeks while I'm doing stuff. And what you start to learn, so A, I don't have to be on sales calls, but B, what you start to learn is that it's just like anything. The 80-20 rule applies. It's the same three or four or five concepts and questions that keep coming up. And so like you can go really deep, learn the market and then do what G did, which is like then tap into a couple of really good reps inside your company or people who are really plugged in and say, hey, CS team, you know, fi- find one person on the CS team who, who you, you know, who you have a relationship with or whoever and say like, hey, every now and then can you send me a call? And then you just have a library and just kind of make it part of like your, your, your keep up. Oh, I haven't listened to calls in a month. Shoot, I got to block off a couple hours and like I got I got to get back to this habit that I have. I think that's that's very insightful, and more than that, it's very actionable. Uh, I think I think marketers and CEOs can can take the time and actually go through some of these things that you just mentioned. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to tell to our listeners before we finish about something about category creation, something about creating a unique company? You, you said a lot about being genuine, authentic, you know, constantly testing. Uh, so there's a lot of learning on that aspect. Is there something else that is a unique truth that you've experienced? That is that is not you know not talked about on Tasker and TechCrunch. I'd say on my end, um, I found that most of the uh, the success I've been able to uh, reproduce uh, in the past couple of years has been by understanding uh, who's my market, who's in my market, and who's buying right now, and then focusing my marketing efforts, budget, content to that small portion of the market 
who is likely to be buying. And I think there's really two things. You have DG and like all the amazing brand marketers who are doing long-term education and, and category creation. But on the short term, you've got to go after the 10% of the market for this month, which is likely to uh, be uh, willing to listen to your message in a way that they're going to buy. If you spread your marketing efforts in dollars on 100% of the market, then it's too weak of an effort. This is where alignment with the whole management team is so important because what, what happens is like, especially in the early days of the company, it's like, no, 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 but we're not we're not just for that segment of people. We're, we're building a game-changing, revolutionizing platform that applies to everybody. And it's like, great, you can work up to that when you are Salesforce, when you are HubSpot, but like you have to pick a wedge and who is that core persona that's going to deliver the, the goods on the MRR perspective today? Um, mine is just like, think for yourself. And that seems like a very corny, like aspirational thing, but I like, just don't follow. You will do better if you just don't blindly follow what happens in B2B marketing. Just think for yourself. What is the goal? How do we get more people to buy from us? If you are not a B2B SaaS company, what would you do? And I'm obsessed with like studying people and consumers and, and popular culture and seeing how those things make people make decisions and then figuring out how I can adapt the B2B version of it as opposed to going the other way. And like the last thing on that is just like, also just know that almost everything has been done ever. And so the most important thing you can do is find one or two role models that you can study, whether it could even be competitors, how, how have they done it? What have they learned? And then what can you learn from that? And what is your unique take on that? Like Mark, so much of marketing and being successful is, is, is being curious and pattern matching what has already been done out there. Gentlemen, thank you very much for sharing your lessons learned from category creations and really enjoyed this episode. And thank you everyone for listening in. Have a wonderful rest of the weekend, guys. Thanks. See you guys. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Gil. Thanks again for joining us. I hope that you enjoyed today's discussion and will tune in again. Find all of the B2B Category Creators episodes at metadata.io. And if you have any feedback, topics, or would like to be a guest on the show, please reach out.